Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your life and career forward. Tribe, today's show is going to be a bit different, as my guest isn't a typical entrepreneur or business leader. On April 10th, 2012, United States Army Staff Sergeant Travis Mills of the 82nd Airborne was critically injured on his third tour of duty in Afghanistan by an IED while on patrol, losing portions of both legs and arms. He is only one of five servicemen from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to ever survive quadruple amputee injuries. It's crazy shit, man. Thanks to his amazing strength, courage, and incredible will to live, and the heroic actions of the men in his unit, the prayers of thousands, and all of the healthcare providers at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in D.C., Travis continues to overcome the obstacles of living as a quadruple amputee. Every day is a battle. But Mills continues to astound everyone with his progress and amazing spirit. Absolutely. Staff Sergeant Travis Mills is a genuine, real American hero. Real shape people. And for his incredible sacrifice, we are forever in his debt. And in September 2013, Travis founded the Travis Mills Foundation. Where'd you come up with the name for that? Uh, a nonprofit organization formed to benefit and assist combat vets. Since opening in 2017, they have hosted over 450 combat injured vets and their families. Let's get to it. I am honored to welcome him to the show and share his journey. Retired staff surgeon, Travis Mills, welcome to the podcast, sir. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, boy, whoever wrote that introduction, I, I better pay them good. I'll tell you what, it makes it sound really good. I'm really we, just we, an idiot that walked into a bomb. <laughs> what a moron. <laughs> we, I, it, I mean, you could laugh about it, man. First and foremost, thank you for your service and making the extreme sacrifice for our country. I am honored and humbled for you to join me on the show today. I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Thanks. I wore this pink. It brings out my fake tan that I don't have. And uh, I appreciate you having me. And I'm, I'm excited. You know, and also, I actually, people don't know this about me. I actually own uh, three, or I'm sorry, four other businesses on top of my foundation. Uh, I own a lodge and a marina, and I'm putting a brewery in right now, and I'm a part owner of an insurance company and uh, speaker uh, bureau and stuff like that. So I have, a, I have quite a bit going on. I mean, you are a true entrepreneur. I'm a guest. I mean, I'm not as cool as you, but definitely not. There, definitely. No, man. You know, man, listen, like entrepreneurs, you know, it's funny. We'll get to the journey in a little bit about entrepreneurship, but let, let's mm -hmm. get, let's get, let's get the, let's get the story out of the way here. First and foremost, um, a couple days ago was Memorial Day. What does Memorial Day mean to you? Well, you know, I mean, okay, so Memorial Day has a few things for me, right? Everybody's like, remember Memorial Day, and they want to be real sad, and not sad, but like somber. And I'm like, man, I've had buddies that died, right? They got killed in Afghanistan, got killed in Iraq, like they just didn't make it back home to their families. And I'm like, yeah, I remember them. But I'm also like, they were some of the wildest, craziest, most fun people I've ever met. So like, they'd rather have you go out there, have a drink, have a barbecue, hang out with your friends, have a good time, you know, take advantage of a day off. 
Um, and yeah, obviously remember their sacrifice and their family sacrifice, but don't lose sight of the people that they were, you know, don't live in the, oh, they lost their lives as much as live in the, hey, they lost their lives, but you know, they were somebody to be cherished and honored and, and do great things uh, in the world. And, you know, it, it's, um, it's always different. People always think I'm going to be real serious and kind of sad or whatever. And I'm like, no, I live every day realizing I made it through my injuries. Like they didn't. So how lucky am I? And I think it's life. selfish if I ever stop. You know what I mean? Cel- celebrate and cherish. Right. Celebrate. Yeah. Do, do what they would want to do on a day off. How would they want to live on a day off? Spend time with their families, eat, drink and be merry and enjoy life. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I, I love it, man. So your story, as most people know, starts off with your third tour overseas. And let me ask you, let's let's bring it back a little bit. What what made you the decision? What made you decide to serve our country? Let's take it back. Yeah. So uh, I probably should give you something real patriotic, something that you wave the American flag in the background, the eagle screams, you know, and you just yell freedom. Uh, but no, I actually, I got out of high school. I went to college. I played college football at a small community college. Um, I didn't like school. I realized it wasn't my, uh, my thing. I was just wasting money and time and, um, moved back home. My girlfriend had a boyfriend, you know, so I was like, Oh, oh I need to leave. And, uh, <laughs> I joined the military because it just seemed like a great opportunity. So I went and talked to the recruiting station, the Marines, the air force, the army, and I narrowed it down to the army and you know, gave me a 24,000 signing bonus and all this stuff. And when I look back at my life and I'm like, man, how'd this happen? How, like, how did I lose my arms and legs? I realized it's actually my ex-girlfriend's fault because I finally joined if she wasn't such a horrible person. So, Whoa. <laughs> I hope she's not listening to the podcast here. That's deep, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Also, Travis Mills is a stand-up comedian. He'll be performing on Tuesday, Thursday, and two shows on Friday night. Find him at the local comedy club. Exactly, exactly. But why, why, why Army, man? Why the Army? Uh, my dad was in the Army. Uh, it seemed like the best option for me um, at the time. Uh, the Marines were all good and everything, but uh, I had like $10,000 in school debt, and the signing bonus really helped pay off some of that school debt. And, um, you know, the Air Force didn't have anything that thrilling. I was going to go to be like a lineman, and then they showed me an airborne infantry video, jumping out airplanes and shooting, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah no, I want that. <laughs> and, um, you know, some people go to the infantry because they have to go there. It's the only job they qualify for. Like, I had qualified for a lot of jobs, but I wanted the infantry. And, you know, I had just one bad day at work, but I really enjoyed my time in the military. I, I would have been, you know, it's, it's hard. I know you're not supposed to say stuff because you don't know the future, but I probably would have been a 20-year career guy um, and retired out at 38 years old. And, you, you enjoyed know, it. Been able to go to the house and become a high school teacher and a football coach like I was playing. What was it like? What was it like before your accident? I want to talk a little bit about your time beforehand. You know, what, what's something that people, you know, who are not in the in the in the armed services, you know, like a like a misconception. You know, what, what what's it like day in and day out? I mean, it was a good time. Uh, I found out that we would sit in the team room every day, and I was a private. We'd sit in the team room and do like training, and then we'd be sitting there waiting to get, you know, to released for the day to go back to our rooms or whatever. Then I made more rank and I'd sit in the team room as a specialist and I got my E5 sergeant rank and I would be upstairs in the offices. And then I got my E6 rank. And we always were asking, what the heck are we still doing here? Until I started going to the first sergeant's office to the meetings with, you know, the guy in charge of our whole entire um, troop at the time. And he'd be looking out the window saying, when is the sergeant major going to let us go home? So I found out like, it's always, you know, someone else is making all the calls all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, the military was fun. You know, you, you meet some of the best friends you'll ever have in your whole entire life. And you also meet people that you can't understand, um, you know, how they're so dumb and, you know, things like that. But you all come together and get along. And 
I don't know. Like I always tell people, if they want to join the military, I, I recommend that they just research and find out what job they want to do. There's over 260 jobs. And are there, are there podcasters in the military? Um, like, is there a podcast? Would I still have to go through basic training to be a podcaster in the military? That's my question. That, that's what would help me back. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I tell you what, though, there is a Armed Forces Network. So you can yeah. go in there and be like a broadcaster or a radio show host. In the army, like yeah, there probably is podcasts now. I'd imagine they're doing some. They've they, they've had a bunch of them. So let let's let's quickly touch on the story here. So it was four days before you turned twenty five, and on that day you weren't supposed to be even out that day, right? No. Shit. No, it was like a refit day they call it. But we got a phone call from the village elder, so we told him we come out and help him out. Yeah, and 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 you went out, and they 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 missed the IED on the on the initial sweep, right? Would you would you mind yeah, sharing a little yeah, bit of the story? Yeah, um, we always had a guy in the front with a minesweeper, and the minesweeper looks like a metal detector, sure. and it has what they call GPR, ground penetrating uh, radiation. So it's supposed to, you know, check for any disturbances in the soil, and they swept not once but twice and didn't find anything. And um, I set my backpack down, 120-pound backpack, and it set off a bomb. You know, my backpack hit the ground on top of the pressure plate IED. Uh, it took off my right arm, right leg automatically, like this little guy right here was all that was left and my right leg was disintegrated too. They never found those pieces. Um, I got thrown on the left side of my face and I rolled over my back and I saw what happened. My left leg, if you can imagine your left ankle bone, um, it was actually touching my left thigh because it was snapped through the bone, but muscle and tendon and skin holding it. And then my left wrist was blown out real bad. But I still used my thumb, index and middle finger. And as I was looking at everything, you know, in my head, it just said, stay calm. I kept seeing the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, and it might sound silly to people, but in that movie, a medic, gets shot in the stomach and he realizes he's probably going to die and he starts yelling out for his mom and he begs not to die and he ultimately does die in that scene and I thought my man will never see that out of me um, that's just not the guy I am and I always exude a confidence left in the front a little bit wild and crazy in, uh, in a good way I guess for combat and I just you know never was going to shy away from a fight so I thought no way with my last memory of my you know, my, myself or my guys be me yelling for my mom and me crying out and begging not to die. I thought whatever happens is going to happen. And, um, my medics came up, my one medic and my platoon sergeant put tourniquets on me. I even told them, Hey, don't worry about it. You're not going to save me. Cause I saw guys, you know, die for what I thought was a lot less injury. And I said, you're not going to save me. Just go save my guys. I had two guys yelling out for the medic that were hit by the bomb as well. And my medic and platoon sergeant ignored me <laughs> and they put tourniquets on me. And as they were working on me, my left wrist was blown out, like right where my right arm's touching. But like I started using my thumb and index and middle finger. So I actually um, reached up my microphone on my chest. And I rated my lieutenant. I said, hey, six, this is four. I got guys injured. I need your medic with mine. And Dr. Boyce ran over to work on the other two guys. And then um, he worked on me. Within 10 minutes, they had me in a helicopter. And the only thing I was telling the medics was, hey, guys, whatever happens, it's not your fault. Like, you know, you tried your best. If I die, it isn't your fault. And I just wanted them to be reassured, like, it's okay. I mean, I can't even imagine a profession or a career where every day your life is on the line. I, I, I mean, you can't think about it. You no. see it around you all the time. You can, otherwise, you can't perform your job. And the fact you know, that you I cared. Yeah, I, I'd never tell people this part of the story, but before we deployed, my my captain was always telling us, "It's not if, it's when, man. When it's when we get hit, how we react." And I'm like, "You never, you never say that." And I used to really, really irritate me. Like I used to get real mad. He would say that, and I'm like, "What kind of moron says that?" Um, You're setting himself for failure. <laughs> Yeah, and then when I, you know, because you don't want people to think like, oh, I'm going to get hit or whatever. Like, you always think like, oh, it's a fluke, it won't happen again. That's how you tell, you justify it and you move on. Um, so I was on the ground, I was laying there, goes, and I kept, I was laughing a little bit. I said, it's not if, it's when. And I think I said, it's not if, it's, and I said the F word, and I said, F and when. Yeah. 
I said, I can't effing believe it's me. This is ridiculous. I mean, but you were you, um, were, an, you were an extreme shock, blood loss. How how close? No, to, I, yeah. I mean, you were close. I I mean, how close to death were you? You know, the blood loss must have been incredible. Uh, but none so, of your internal or I mean, you had a you had a jacket on. You had body yeah, armor. No, yep. Just my arms and legs were, were hit. I had a golf ball size of shrapnel almost ripped through, but hit a plate Jeez. in my side plate and uh, didn't go all the way through the plate. Luckily, and they put the tourniquets on me so quick to clamp down the blood from losing from my body that I made it to the hospital. Uh, I was given 400 units of blood. And that was the most blood ever given by anybody. I got a picture of it, actually. Some nurses got a picture of it for me, like all the blood, empty blood. It's not a record you want to have. Uh, but no, you survive. It's a record you want to have if you survived. Yeah. Flip it right. another and way. Now I want to make sure I maintain it, you know. Um, but you know, for selfish reasons, of course. But um, no, I they had to actually get people to rush to donate blood from their veins and give it to me, a positive universal blood. And then the, I was so close that when you go overseas, um, you fill out paperwork called a blue book. And it's really morbid. You got to play in your funeral. I want to be buried here with these items in my casket, with this music playing. You know, I want to have a civilian or military style funeral. And the last thing that you ask for is uh, they ask you is who escorts your body back home. Well, my brother-in-law, uh, my first one was my, was my medic on my first 15 month deployment. And I met his little sister uh, on that deployment, like, you know, over MySpace. And then we ended up getting married. And, um, after my deployment, whatever, like we were together 13, 17 days in person and we were actually married. Um, and we've been married 13 years now. Uh, but anyway, he was called in, he flew into Kandahar cause he was in a different part of Afghanistan because they thought he was going to escort, you know, my, my, uh, my body back. That's heavy shit, man. I mean, when you're writing, when you're writing that blue book, what, what songs were you thinking about? Like, that's a crazy thought to think about what you want to play at your funeral. I mean, I never, I never thought about that. Yeah, like, is, is, it, um, is, it, is it, is it, is it classic rock? Is it something religious? Is it like Wu-Tang Clan? Like, what are you well, feeling? Yeah. I'm like a country guy. So it's probably like letters from home or something like that. Or, um, you know, some kind of country song that reflects like being overseas with that and like dying and, and or like, don't worry, you know, something I couldn't tell you what song I chose uh, that long ago, but it was something probably like, don't, don't worry. It's okay. And die doing what I love or something like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was, it's morbid for sure. Yeah. That's, that's some crazy shit. So the, those first, you know, moments in the hospital when, when you, you know, kind of really came to and you're like, fuck. They had to actually medically sedate me. I was trying to sit up and the nurse was like, I don't know you're so awake right now. You need to go to sleep. And I kept trying to sit up and saying like, I got my feet back or anything. My men, uh, my men need me. And then I was actually on the helicopter on the flight in. One of my guys was yelling out in a lot of pain. And I had like this goop in my eye, like protective goop they put in for the rotor wash from the helicopter. Yeah. But I was like, I winked at him through it. And I kept yelling, you're going to be okay. And I told the flight mag, take your helmet off. And I, you know, I even the third time I yelled at it, got my arm out of the strap. They had it pinned down in and I yelled at him to take his helmet off with some more choice words. And he did. And I said, give my guys water and tell them they're going to be okay. And then they actually wrote my wife a nice email um, saying that in their years of service, they can't believe you know, how I responded and how I was acting, like take care of my men, not worrying about myself. And they wrote my wife. It was actually, so I have a New York Times bestseller out, not to promote myself, but called Tough As They Come. And the letter that they sent me is actually in the in the book. They let us publish it. So it's pretty well, cool. I mean, did you, did you even have a, a thought of what real brotherhood was before you joined the military? I mean, I was always on sports teams. You know, so I had that camaraderie and that bond, but nothing as deep as like the military runs. And, you know, like um, my first first day in country, we got a huge firefight and and uh, this guy went down. He tore his ACL and MCL and meniscus or something. Yeah, we thought he got shot. Like we were getting hammered and we were hammering the enemy. And I ran down and I picked him up, you know, 
they, like my first sergeant's like third squad go get him and i was like no nah, you guys keep firing i got it i tossed my rifle to my my first sergeant i said here hold this please and i ran down into the, all the fire and everything like that and i picked him up and i ran him all the way out you know rounds and rpgs and stuff skipping by um but the funny part of that story is i, I couldn't stand that guy as a person like uh like i the brotherhood was still there even though like later on that night we almost got a fist fight um well after after you saved his life yeah, he said something. He said something, and I said something smart back to him. He said something else to me, and I said, "If you stand up, I'm going to break your face." And you know, Talk about gratitude. That's, that's, what a great way I mean, of showing gratitude, well, man! Right? Like that's some fun. But then, <laughs> but then I had to take him. He had to go to the bathroom, so I picked him up and carried him to the bathroom. So that's brotherhood. You know, man. it's just like I said. I, he's not a. He's not somebody I go out and get drinks with, but he's a guy that I respected as an American oh, and as a soldier that's and somebody incredible. that I, you know, a brotherhood type. So yeah, that's it's, incredible. It's kind of funny because my book, I don't make him out to be like we don't like each other, but in, in all reality, I didn't I didn't care for him as, a, oh, as as like to be my friend. So let's 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 talk about the recovery. There had to be those dark times. I mean, you're mm-hmm. joyful now, incredible sense of humor, but there had to be those moments when you had to be at your lowest. If you don't mind telling, tell us about those times and how'd you pull yourself up, man? Yeah, I mean, I had to sit there in a hospital bed and realize like I'll never be the same. You know, I basically was a 25 year old baby. Uh, not like I was. With the beard. And stuff, but like, yeah, oh yeah, but no, like I had to get help using the bathroom. I couldn't wipe my own, you know, my own uh, butt. I couldn't feed myself. Um, so it was, it was rough. And then I had to sit there and figure out like uh, the mental aspect of it was the hardest part for me. I never talked about health. I still have it to this day. I offer it at my foundation. Um, but internally I was going through a lot. Like how can I be, a, you know, a husband? How can I be a father? How can I, um, you know, not be a burden on everybody? And like the biggest thing was like, why didn't I just die? Like a real Forrest Gump moment. Like it would have been more glorious and honorable probably if I would have died than to be a pain in everyone's side. And no one made me feel like I was. Just, you know, as you're an independent person, you're like, jeez, like, I don't want to live like this. Um, but, you know, after so many, you know, times of closing your eyes and hoping and wishing and praying you can change it and open your eyes and figuring you can't uh, and they find out you can't go back in time for nothing. Um, my daughter was six months old. She's a real unsung hero. My wife too, but my daughter was like, my whole driving force of getting better. Like my daughter is nine now. We learned how to walk together. Uh, you know, she was learning how to walk as I was learning how to walk. I've never like yelled at my mom. I've actually never yelled at my wife. I don't think anger and like yelling solves anything when it comes to like my marriage, if you will, or my you know, my mom. I just never Good yelled at her. But um, I, uh, my mom like came in where I woke up one day from a nap and I said, hey, when's Chloe getting here? And she's like, well, they already came. And I said, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, Kelsey and Chloe came and you were sleeping. So me and Kelsey thought it's best to let you sleep. And I looked at my mom and said, don't ever let that happen again. She's the only reason this work's getting better. You know, and that's about as stern as I've ever been with my mom. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the unsung hero probably of it all is my daughter for my driving force. And at the end of the day, I was still going to be her father. And I was still going to have to, you know, pick myself up because I had two choices. Two choices in life. It was either get better or don't. And the, the don't part wasn't really an option for me. And, uh, you know, fast forward, I mean, now we have a three-year-old um, little boy. Um, his awesome. name's Dax, so that tells everybody still got it. Still works. And, there you go. Uh, we, don't th- we don't have to get to that line of questioning. Yeah, I'm just letting everybody know because um, people wonder. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I just, I've been, I've actually been blessed and fortunate uh, if you think about it. I mean, it was, it was dark uh, for just a little while. And then I became like the guy everybody went to at Walter Reed for inspiration and hope. And they wanted to work out with me and they wanted me at the hospital to go visit people in the room, let them know like, Hey, you're not a bad person. You know, you did nothing wrong to deserve this. Like you're going to get better. Um, crazy. You know, I really found my, my, myself again at Walter Reed doing that. 
Isn't that crazy how how life works? I mean, how you think you're on one path and you experience what many would describe as the worst possible thing that could happen aside from death. And you have this amazing outlook on on what your life is now and all that you have to give back. And, and just kudos to you, man. I don't know if many people on earth could do that. Well, I mean, I appreciate it. I hope people don't have to make that decision if they have to or not, or if they could or couldn't type deal. You know, I... I didn't see it coming. Uh, I was thrust into this. And you're right. Sometimes that's like the biggest holdup. Like I tell people, it's not a rough day. It's not a rough week. Um, it's it's very rarely a rough moment in time for me, like rough minute to two where I'm like, man, why did this happen? Or how is this rest of my life? Or how is this my plan? Or how can I teach my, teach my kid how to play baseball or my daughter to, you know, throw a softball or whatever? And I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, you got to just recalibrate. That's why I tell everybody I'm a recalibrated warrior is because I got to tell myself, my friends are not here. My friends didn't make back home to their four-year-old daughter, Sophia, who's now you know, going on 13 years old. Um, they, they, they didn't have the ability to be with their wives like I'm with my wife and, and have the things that I have. So, look, we live in a nation that takes care of me. I got prosthetic legs. I got prosthetic hand. Like, that doesn't even hurt now. I got cool tricks. You, know? you got party You got and party tricks now. Could you open, it? Could you open a beer bottle sure. with it? Uh, yeah, I guess I can. I... Uh, I just ring right from the right from the tap, so it's a lot easier. Just you know what? My 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 party trick, and my wife hates this, is I could open beer bottles with my wedding ring. It's oh, like, yeah. got a good grip on it right over here. And one of our one of her friends, whose uh, boyfriend's no longer with her, um, taught me this at our wedding, at our wedding. And that moment, I remember. I think it was the first time she yelled at me as her husband. I literally took the beer bottle and and popped it over. She's like, "Yeah, I gotta scratch the ring." And I don't have. Uh, Eleven years later, I don't have one scratch on this, Travis. Right? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> See, I uh, I got through a like I got blown up, and I wear my wedding ring around my neck now on a necklace. Not one scratch on it. Live through a bomb. No. Dude, your 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 spirit's amazing, man. I mean, it's 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 contagious. Let's talk about um the movie and the book. Who did you really want to play you in the movie? Well, I it was a documentary, so I played myself. Uh, <laughs> if someone you know, could was, play you in the movie, who would you want it to be? Well, back when we were doing it, I was like, Channing Tatum's got to do it. You know, but now I'm thinking like, boy, Zac Efron, if I could have had Zac Efron do it when he was a little bit younger, you know, to portray, I think he's like one of the funniest guys in the world. I get High School Musical. He can dance and sing. I, yeah. I respect it. The, the, what's a grandpa one with De Niro? Dirty grandpa, bad grandpa? Dirty no, that's Zac Efron, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah Robert De Niro. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Bad Grandpa. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. that might be one of the... That's an underrated, in my opinion, top 10 funniest movie. Yeah, it, or it, like it, um, Mike and Dave Need a Wedding Date or something yeah. like that. With that guy, Adam, whatever. He's hilarious, too. So, and we are we are digressing here, my friend. Uh, let's talk about the book. Um, who Who is it for? Who should be reading this book? I mean, you know, I for everybody, obviously. Uh, but look, I'm not trying to drive sales. I tell people um, they're going to find out a lot about my personal background history, uh, about my highest points, my lowest points, about my ability to keep pushing forward and things like that and keep going. I'm writing a new book right now. So I, I do motivational speaking as my for-profit like company, the Travis Mills Group LLC. And I travel non-COVID about to 60 engagements, like 150 days out of the year, I'm on the road. Luckily, COVID's you know, not as prevalent right now or whatever I want to say. Um, my October, I have like maybe seven days at home this October because I have like 10 engagements Getting back throughout the nation. Yeah, so I'm writing a book on resilience. I guess everybody hires me for it. I wanted to figure out what the secret sauce is. Yeah, and, this guy um, can do it. Come on, no one, no one should yeah. be bitching. Yeah, but I think, you know, the book's just going to tell a really cool story. With and It's upbeat too. My sister, she read it and she goes, Travis, I just felt like it was you telling the story. Um, and, that, and that means a lot because I'm, 
you know, I'm an emotional roller coaster of fun. Like people always come to my presentations, you know, Wells Fargo and Microsoft and all these big companies and they come in and they think they got to bring tissues. And before you know it, they're laughing because I open up with, uh, I, you know, tell them a secret about myself. I don't wash my hands if I use the bathroom. Uh, you know, like that's my big secret. I say I wash my hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, throw my nipples in some jokes. Right, whatever, like you, 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 you disarm, but you're disarm, you're disarming them because everyone's got to come in. That's what I do. I disarm the situation. You know, I mean, I'll be honest. I said to my wife this morning, I'm like, you know, am I gonna, you know, I, I got to hold my shit together, and then you come in and you completely, you have a way of doing it, man, and that's. that's well, you, yeah, but you missed the joke of disarm. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Oh, I, yeah. I got, I, 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 I got it, man. I'm trying to figure out what I can and cannot laugh at, right? Like, cause then people like, I should laugh at it. Like, you can laugh at anything, man. If this guy's making a joke, you're laughing at it. Um. I want to. I want to talk about. Well, we're still talking about the book, right? What's what? I mean, what is that key takeaway? I mean, what is that aha so, moment you yeah. want people to walk away from? I think the biggest thing I tell people is the author's notes. Really, the most important part to me because it's going to basically tell you like I don't think my problems outweigh anybody else's, you know. And as silly as that sounds, like at the end of the day, we all have stuff we're really going through, or loved ones are going through, uh, or friends or whatever. Like, there's somebody that has cancer that you know. There's somebody spending a car accident. There's somebody spending financial mm -hmm. trouble. And if my story can help anybody like see the light or, or push forward in life through anything difficult, then that's what I'm going for. You know, and, and the next thing I tell people is I didn't serve anymore than anybody else. I, I make fun of Marines all the time. They don't really get my jokes. They're so dumb. So it doesn't really hurt their feelings. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I didn't do anything more heroic or brave. I just happened to step on a bomb with my backpack down in a bomb or whatever. And, you know, if anybody did serve, thank you for your service. And, you know, like this book, a lot of people read it. People enjoy it and they go real hard at you know, um, uh, you know, I don't know, every company that I'd speak for, a lot of them um, will buy the book or have people in the audience that have the book or I'll pre-sign 600 or whatever. And it's kind of for everybody. But yeah, I think the authors know it's kind of the most important part to me because I think people need to realize like, yeah, I have no arms and legs. And I look a little bit different, but I'm the same person I was before. You're and here. if I can do it, then you can. Um, you're here. And it doesn't mean you have to be going through something, you know, real shitty in life to like enjoy the book either. It's just... It just helps people kind of realize and, you know, like I always use the word recalibrate, but kind of recalibrate and, re, you know, reassess and, and uh, redefine their life, I guess. You have the opposite of a victim mentality. You, you literally are the, the embodiment of the, the antithesis of that. When you are at the at the vet hospitals and when you're at other hospitals talking to people in, in pretty bad shape, how, how do you how do you motivate them to, to flip that around? How do you do that? Is well, it luckily, just by is it just by, yeah, by your contagious that. spirit? And they're like, look, look at fucking me, man. Look at me. Well, I was lucky at Walter Reed. I was the worst you were going to see. All the burn victims go somewhere else and um, and the paralyzation people go somewhere else. So it was all amputations. And I'm one of five surviving quadruple amputations. So it was kind of easy with the look at me stuff. And then I also, um, I always have a smile on, right? I always have a good time. It's not a facade. I don't just do this because it looks good. And it was funny because one guy that lost both legs was always like real bitter and angry and kind of kind of miserable to be around. Um, he told me one day, you're part of the Everything's Great Club. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, you, got, you don't have arms and legs. You act like everything's just so great. And I said, well, I got 50 years plus left, um, I would hope. And I said, so I can either accept it and move on or I can be bitter for another 50 plus years like you. And I said, so I'm choosing just live life, man. And it just like, I, I mean, I couldn't have punched him any harder in the face than those words hit him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, it was that aha moment. Like, you can't go back. I tell people two life lessons that I live by. Number one, don't dwell on the past. Just reminisce it. Because no matter how many times I closed my eyes and hoped I'd go back in time, I never did. And I just was like, you know what? Just reminisce the 25 years I had with arms and legs. And I've had nine incredible years without. And then I always tell people that you can't control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. 
And every day I wake up, like I don't have my arms and legs on. And I wake up, right? I'm sitting in my, my, my bed. I jump in my wheelchair. I get my arm, right? I get this thing off the charger. It charges like a cell phone. And I toss it on. Does it have Bluetooth? Uh, my legs are. My legs are Bluetooth. Nice. But uh, they, that's how I drive my truck. But I throw my arm on. I go, you know, I have an elevator in my house. I go on the elevator, make my coffee. My wife's coffee set up. My kids come down, my wife. We go about our day. You recalibrate. Like, you uh, recalibrated how you're gonna, how you're gonna, you know, you just had to relearn. Well, I tell people like, I, yeah, I don't see myself as any different. Cause I just have a few extra steps, right? My legs go on, then my pants. My arm goes on, then my shirt, and I go out the door. Different like process. after this, I actually, uh, I have a meeting about this brewery I'm putting in. Uh, Where's that gonna September. be? Uh, up here in Maine. It's called the White Duck Brew Pub. We might, about it. we we might we might be we might be coming up there at the end of the summer. If I do, I'll reach out to you. We'll definitely uh, we'll definitely yeah, swing please. by. I know Maine's a big state, but I'll make I'll make that happen. What was what was the hardest uh, part about the the rehab learning to do again? What was the hardest part? Uh, you know, it was all physical, so it wasn't that bad. It was it was like the time that my body had to heal. Like I didn't want to wait for the time that it took. Like you couldn't get your taller legs until three months had passed because your bone density had to be a certain. They do bone density scans and all this stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's a, it's a tried and true proven method, how they do it. But I was like, ready to go, go, go. And mentally it was the worst, you know? So it's moments of why this happened. Um, you know, why is this supposed to be the rest of my life? And I, you know, is this really what my plan was like my fate? Um, those are ones that are hard to grapple with. And then I was, you know, um, tell people it's also just as hard to think about when I'm 70, you know, will I be able to have prosthetic legs? Will I have my prosthetic arm work? How is it gonna, and then I realized like, I gotta live in the now. You know, plan for the future, but I got to live in the now because I don't know what's going to be like when I'm 70. But I'm only 34 years old, so I'm not really that worried about it. I mean, they could have some pretty cool tech. I mean, think how fast technology is moving. Oh, yeah. Like, you'll be yeah, fine. Well, they have, right, they have some pretty cool stuff out there. Like, right now, they have osteo-integration. Uh, osteo-integration. Sorry to say grotion. Um, but it is kind of gross in a way. They drill out your femur bone, and then they put steel rods in it, and then the steel rods come out of your legs. Interesting. Um, and then, like, your prosthetic legs hook onto it it's really cool but i mean you feel like the terminator like, man like the, i mean this yeah. sounds like you know if you if you if you kind of think about it from a different angle there's there's something kind of cool about it where you're gonna have the latest greatest tech like fully you know biomechanical man right there yeah but you know the funny thing is uh and, and i see it with generations of war fighters um the vietnam veterans all the cool stuff i have they don't want it they want like their sea legs and their like all their old stuff that, they have that they, they're used to. And like, I have the top of the line legs right now, but they're inventing and creating new legs. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, these legs are great. I don't need anything else. And this hand's the most basic hand you can actually get. They have way more adv advanced ones, but I got to push myself up. And when I push down the knuckles yeah. on the other hands, they break. Uh, and the funniest thing is like, I'm like, no, 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 this hand works great. I'll keep this one. And like, there's so much other cool shit out there. So I, I really need to open my mind and expand my horizons. But that's also part of like slowing down, which I'm not good at. Like I'm, I'm always on the move, always doing something. That's good. That, that's that's good stuff, man. Um, and and talking about mental health for a little bit. I mean, it's it's in the news a lot with with veterans, and mm -hmm. you know we hear terrible stories every day. You know what what helps? How how are you helping? You know other vets mentally, and 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 you know yeah. trying to really reduce you know suicide, and it, it's tough. I mean, you hear the numbers every single day, and you're like, how the like? Yeah. Why is this not at the forefront? Why aren't we doing more? to help the people that put their lives on the line for this country? Well, I mean, they are doing a lot. It's about accepting that help too. You know, for me, like I tell people point blank, like mental Good health point. came in my room and my wife said, hey, mental health came and I was sleeping. And I said, well, call them and tell them I don't want to talk to them. I gotta come back. And they came to the hospital room the next day and I was awake and she's like, hey, mental health's here. So I like pretend like I was sleeping. 
And the next time they came in, I was eating a bowl of cereal, sitting right up, eating a bowl of cereal with a makeshift arm, like duct tape and flint material. And I was feeding myself with this, you know, spoon duct taped on. And they walked in and I looked over and I knew who they were. I'm like, oh, shit. And I fell back on my bed and she shut my eyes like I was sleeping. I mean, I went from full sit up to like, and she comes over and she goes, what are you doing? And I gave her my name, rank, and my social security number. And she goes, what? And I gave it to her again. She goes, I don't understand what you're doing. So that's all you tell the enemy when you get captured. So take it and leave or leave. I don't care what your option. And my wife's like, you're, you know, stop. You're going to make her cry. I'm like, I, I told you, Tom, I'm not talking to him. And I never did. And, and luckily, I had a community support of different amputees and their families that we hung out with. So I never went to Mount Health. Then I had a lady that was a social worker assigned to me that was supposed to, like, crack me down or whatever, like you see in the movies. And I went there the first time, and I got talking about football with her. She asked me a personal question that I was like, we're not doing this. And then we got talking again. She did it again. I said, look, this isn't the movies. You ain't going to win. So let's just let's just call it and stop wasting your time. Second day, second day, uh, week, I had to go back for an hour. She's like, "Yeah, you're not. This isn't gonna happen, is it?" I said, "No, it's definitely not." So we're done here. So I was done. But that's the wrong way to probably do it. That's just how I did it. But how am I helping now? I started the Travis Mills Foundation. Yeah, let's talk about out, it. Yeah, to bring out combat injured veterans and service connected injured veterans with physical injuries, paralyzation, amputations, spinal cord injuries. Uh, bring them out to a retreat that we built in Maine to show them that they can do things adaptively, right? Downhill mountain bike, snowboard, um, horseback riding, canoeing, kayaking, you know, bike riding, whatever. Show them, hey, don't be on the sidelines. Like, be active with your family, be active in your community, understand you can still do this. And so, like, the big family thing. My wife was a big factor of why I'm doing so well. My daughter and now my son, big factors of why I'm doing so well. And let's bring the whole family out. Well, this, this went very well. Um, I need to update online. Uh, that what you read, we've helped over 555 families now, and we're just getting ready to kick off June 27th again. I mean, we're a multi-million dollar foundation. Awesome. I don't take a dime, and we're doing well. But when I'm on the road and I'm speaking, and people come up and they tell us, like, hey, I have this person or this loved one or this loved one that has post-traumatic stress, and I was saying, hey, go to this place or check this website out. And I realized I was just giving them the runaround, not meaning to. I did my research, found the best programs out there, and I said, hey, try these guys. Try this. Well, we opened up the... Warrior Path uh, program, which is on Boulder Crest Foundation or Boulder Crest Retreat, um, and it's uh, Boulder Crest Foundation. Either way, out we're going to link Virginia, it all They got yeah, they got a big grant to open up ten more facilities. Awesome. We became one of the facilities, so now we actually have a post traumatic stress program. But here's the kicker: it's eighteen month course. The first week of it is at a retreat setting. Uh, we bring in eight people for that, and you have to be the veteran that signs up, and you have to want to get better. It's a lot of online like you know, um, focus groups, online meetings, uh, different workbooks. And it's like an 18 month course and they call it post-traumatic growth. But you can't, like if say you're a mom and your son's got post-traumatic stress, your mom can't sign you up. You have to do it yourself. You have to want you to do be it. Dedicated. Yeah. And this is one of the best ones out there. You know, it's not like there's one week or two week hitter. It's like, no, we're going to be with you for 18 months to get you through the full program. And that's why I believe so much in it. So we became a chapter of Warrior Path and everything's available at TravisMillsFoundation.org to find out more about what we do. But, uh, but yeah, so I help both the families and the physical injuries. And now we are hopeful, uh, now we are tremendous. Uh, thankful to hope, uh, thankful to help the post-traumatic stress, um, going on as well, but we call it post-traumatic growth. Making, making a real difference, man. And, and that's recalibration and, and I love it. So let's, let's bring it home here. Travis, when I say the word authentic, what, what does that mean to you? When I say authentic, I don't know, like I'm authentic, I guess, genuine. I don't know. What do you, I they're going to say what word best describes me. That's why I get asked all the time. And I'm like nope. stubborn. <laughs> authentically, I am stubborn. Uh, this is you, man. I think you've been, you've been, well, I mean, you, you are, 
I mean, it, it comes through, I mean, on camera here, I can only imagine in real life. I mean, you exude authenticity and it's, it's, it's who you are, man. You kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know, um, what, what is, what is that single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it, you know, for me, it was internally like realizing no matter what I do in this hospital bed, it's not going to change the outcome of what happened no matter how many times I wish and hope and think and pray that this never happened. And I think it's all about how I see myself. And I met some really strong people that came to my bedside and, you know, either they were congenitally born with no arms, no legs, or they had been injured this way or that way. And they're making a difference in the world. And I thought, well, geez, I can do that. And then obviously my competitive edge, I'm like, I want to do something huge. I want to do something great. I want to make sure. And I know the foundation is named after me. Um, trust me, if I could change the name, I would because I'm not trying to build a shrine to myself. I've been accused of that in the early days. Really? Um, yeah, some guy was mad. I had an elevator in my house. So you could put 40 ramps on houses for veterans. And I'm like, I didn't build my house. Gary Sinise Foundation built my house. And they put a, they had an elevator company come in and do that to help us out. And Lieutenant, Dan, Lieutenant Dan came and helped you? Yeah, he's a great guy. Well, well, I mean, yeah. is that full circle or what? Like, what the? That is that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is he, is he the real deal? Oh, 100%. Yeah, actually, um, uh, I talk to him regularly. Great I did, guy. I did not. Well. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He builds houses for guys like me that are like handicap accessible with kind of like smart home technology, so I can awesome. live independently and stuff. So it, it works out real well. Yeah, Gary Sneeze Foundation is. And here's the thing: the Gary Sneeze Foundation is one of the reasons that I started my foundation because he was building homes for guys like myself and their families. And I thought, okay, well, they get spaced out all over the place. And at the hospital, we're all one tight knit community. Like everybody's kind of the same, right? There's no. Yeah. There's nobody looking at you funny because you're missing a leg because everybody's missing a leg or a hand or two legs or whatever. And I thought, but when you go back to your homes, I am very comfortable in my own skin. Like I am a community leader where I live at. Everybody knows me. Uh, my wife gets irritated when we go out to dinner sometimes because for the first 30 minutes, like a local I'm like, celeb. Like a yeah, like a politician. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And everybody wants to come up and take pictures and kissing babies. Talk with me. And she's like, oh my gosh, we just eat dinner. So we take friends with us. So she has someone to talk to for the first like 30 minutes. It's okay. You can look at your phone. I know there's no phones at dinner, but you can look at your phone right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I thought these guys that got injured, men and women, probably don't have the same outlook as I have, the same attitude. And I want them to feel like, hey, there's still a community here for you. So we bring them out, eight families all over the nation. They come from, you know, anywhere. And as long as they fit our criteria and we say, hey, look, you're not alone. And they would build some lifelong friendships from people that were injured two different wars in two different, you know, t years um that are now really great friends and realize like hey somebody out there is like me and you know you get these kids that come out to our foundation that see other dads and and moms that are like their dad and mom which is you know truly tremendous um you know we measure success by when kids are crying saying it's better than disney world they don't want to leave not the kids crying is a good thing but you know what i mean and then i had this one spouse of a of a soldier who was talking to another spouse just just random conversation not not forced not not pulled out from anybody uh, my program director was sitting behind them doing some work on her computer and the one lady said, you know what, this is the first time that I've actually seen the man I married uh, since before, you know, the guy that before he deployed, like the guy that he was before he went overseas. And you think, wow, that's awesome. Like this guy came out of a shell and he's like back to who he used to be and the, and the man that she fell in love with. But then you find out, you dig a little deeper, he deployed four years ago before coming to my retreat um, that we have set up at the foundation. And I'm like, so it's been four plus years since she's seen the guy that she, you know, had married. And how cool is that, that we're able to open those doors? And that's what we do at the foundation. That's, that's making a like difference. Like I said, I don't, look, I don't take a dime from that. I, I'm fortunate to have other options and, and avenues. And I just want everybody to know, like, 
we do everything we can to maximize every dollar because we believe so wholeheartedly in the in the mission of what we're doing. That's that's amazing, man. So l- l- let's bring it home here. Um, I I ask I ask this question at the end of every every show, and you you've alluded to a lot of it. Um, but when 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 you look back, when you look back, when you when you were when you were laying there, shit, arms blown, legs blown, you're like, fuck, I may not live to see another day. And you had to dig down deep, Travis. You had to dig down deep more than any human being on this planet and find and harness that inner tenacity to pull yourself up and forward and through the rehab and take you to this place you are now where from the outside looking at you, man, you're, you're recalibrated, recalibrated human and giving so much back and being an inspiration to everybody. But when you need to focus, when you get lost and you need to take that compass and map and find your North Star, Travis Mills, what is your North Star? What is your compass in life? Oh, it's my kids, my wife and kids. Um, I have the ability to still be here with them. Like we said, Memorial Day just going by, like a lot of those guys don't, didn't make it back home. And I think I tell people when they're like, why don't you just like upset or angry? And I'm like, I think it would personally be a selfish, just slap in the face to the sacrifice that they made and their families have had to make if I gave up on myself. So, you know, every day I live for my kids and my family and my wife, but I also live for them. And, you know, I guess the biggest thing I can tell you right now is I ain't no bitch. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to, I'm just going to roll with the punches, but, uh, I have a good time. It is what it is. Um, and since I can't change it, I'm just going to keep going forward. Travis Mills. Thank you so much for joining us today. I, I appreciate you. Thank you for your service. And thank you so much for what you're doing now. Hang with me for one moment. Uh, I urge everyone to check out travismills.org for more information and donations are greatly appreciated. What else, what else could people do to help? What else could, could the, could the average American Joe and Jane do to help out? I mean, obviously like, you know, root for the Bruins and then you Ooh. can also go with the, <laughs> I'm just kidding. we're Islanders country here. I know. I know. That's why I said, it. um, <laughs> I like to antagonize. No, I mean, look, just being able to tell people like who I am and what we do, um, that, that, you know, be my town crier, my ambassador. That's great uh, for the Travis Mills Foundation or Travis Mills just in general. Um, check me out on social media, Instagram, Facebook. That always helps. So it's at SSG Travis Mills. And um, I hope everybody had a good time listening to this. Uh, obviously, you're a champion and I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Travis, hang with me for one moment as I sign off. And to everyone listening, I really hope that this episode resonates. Um, This is what it's all about. I, as a host, my job is to showcase others and their stories and and help others. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today on the podcast. You know where to find us at thepodcast.com. If you like this episode, leave a rating review. It goes a long way. Follow us on all social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for other people. It's not always about you. Right. I mean, that's a big lesson from the from the pandemic. It's not just about you, but look out for each other. Take care and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing and sharing to join the conversation. Search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.